0: section eight of psychology of the unconscious by carl jung this librivox recording is in the public domain section eight in such an intellectual accomplishment of an evidently very capable personality the prospect of a spiritual fruitfulness is something which is worthy of the highest aspiration since for many it will become a necessity of life also this side of the phantasy explains to a great extent the excitement for it is a thought with a presentiment of the future one of those thoughts which arise to use one of metterlinck's expressions from the inconscient superior, that prospective potency of subliminal combinations i have had the opportunity of observing certain cases of neuroses of years duration in which at the time of the beginning of the illness or shortly before a dream occurred often of visionary clarity this impressed itself inextinguishably upon the memory and in analysis revealed a hidden meaning to the patient which anticipated the subsequent events of life that is to say their psychologic meaning i am inclined to grant this meaning to the commotion of that restless night because the resulting events of life in so far as miss miller consciously and unconsciously unveils them to us are entirely of a nature to confirm the supposition that that moment is to be considered as the inception and presentiment of a sublimated aim in life miss miller concludes the list of her fancies with the following remarks the dream seemed to me to come from a mixture of the representation of paradise lost Job and creation with ideas such as thought which spontaneously produces its object the gift of love chaos and cosmos in the same way as coloured splinters of glass are combined in a kaleidoscope in her mind fragments of philosophy aesthetics and religion would seem to be combined under the stimulating influence of the journey and the countries hurriedly seen combined with the great silence and the indescribable charm of the sea ce ne fut que cela est rien de plus only this and nothing more with these words miss miller shows us out politely and energetically her parting words in her negation confirmed over again in english leave behind a curiosity viz what position is to be negated by these words ce ne fut que cela est rien de plus that is to say really only le charme impalpable de la mer and the young man who sang melodiously during the night watch is long since forgotten and no one is to know least of all the dreamer that he was a morning star who came before the creation of a new day one should take care lest he satisfy himself and the reader with a sentence such as se ne otherwise it might immediately happen that one would become disturbed again this occurs to miss miller too since she allowed an english quotation to follow only this and nothing more without giving the source it is true the quotation comes from an unusually effective poem the raven by poe the line referred to occurs in the following while i nodded nearly napping suddenly there came a tapping as of some one gently rapping rapping at my chamber door tis some visitor i muttered tapping at my chamber door only this and nothing more the spectral raven knocks nightly at his door and reminds the poet of his irrevocably lost lenore the raven's name is nevermore and as a refrain to every verse he croaks his horrible nevermore old memories come back tormentingly and the spectre repeats inexorably nevermore the poet seeks in vain to frighten away the dismal guest he calls to the raven be that word our sign of parting bird or fiend i shrieked upstarting get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken leave my loneliness unbroken quit the bust above my door take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door quoth the raven nevermore that quotation which apparently skips lightly over the situation only this and nothing more comes from a text which depicts in an affecting manner the despair over the lost lenore that quotation also misleads our poet in the most striking manner therefore she undervalues the erotic impression and the wide-reaching effect of the commotion caused by it it is this undervaluation which freud has formulated more precisely as repression which is the reason why the erotic problem does not attain directly conscious treatment and from this there arise these psychologic riddles the erotic impression works in the unconscious and in its stead pushes symbols forth into consciousness thus one plays hide and seek with oneself first it is the morning stars which sing together then paradise lost then the erotic yearning clothes itself in an ecclesiastical dress and utters dark words about world-creation and finally rises into a religious hymn to find there at last a way out into freedom a way against which the censor of the moral personality can oppose nothing more the hymn contains in its own peculiar character the marks of its origin it thus has fulfilled itself the law of the return of the complex the night singer in this circuitous manner of the old transference to the father priest has become the eternal the creator the god of tone of light of love the indirect course of the libido seems to be a way of sorrow at least paradise lost and the parallel reference to job lead one to that conclusion if we take in addition to this the introductory intimation of the identification with christian which we see concludes with cyrano then we are furnished with material which pictures the indirect course of the libido as truly a way of sorrow it is the same as when mankind after the sinful fall had the burden of the earthly life to bear or like the tortures of job who suffered under the power of satan and of god and who himself without suspecting it became a plaything of the superhuman forces which we no longer consider as metaphysical but as metapsychological faust also offers us the same exhibition of god's wager mephistopheles what will you bet there's still a chance to gain him if unto me full leave you give gently upon my road to train him satan but put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face job one two while in job the two great tendencies are characterized simply as good and bad the problem in faust is a pronouncedly erotic one viz the battle between sublimation and eros in which the devil is strikingly characterized through the fitting role of the erotic tempter the erotic is lacking in job at the same time job is not conscious of the conflict within his own soul he even continuously disputes the arguments of his friends who wish to convince him of evil in his own heart to this extent one might say that faust is considerably more honorable since he openly confesses to the torments of his soul miss miller acts like job she says nothing and lets the evil and the good come from the other world from the metapsychologic. therefore the identification with job is also significant in this respect a wider and indeed a very important analogy remains to be mentioned the creative power which love really is rightly considered from the natural standpoint remains as the real attribute of the divinity sublimated from the erotic impression therefore in the poem god is praised throughout as creator job offers the same illustration satan is the destroyer of job's fruitfulness god is the fruitful one himself therefore at the end of the book he gives forth as an expression of his own creative power this hymn filled with lofty poetic beauty in this hymn strangely enough two unsympathetic representatives of the animal kingdom behemoth and the leviathan both expressive of the crudest force conceivable in nature are given chief consideration the behemoth being really the phallic attribute of the god of creation behold now behemoth which i made as well as thee he eateth grass as an ox lo now his strength is in his loins and his force is in the muscles of his belly he moveth his tail like a cedar the sinews of his thighs are knit together his bones are as tubes of brass his limbs are like bars of iron he is the chief of the ways of god he only that made him giveth him his sword behold if a river overflow he trembleth not he is confident though a jordan swell even to his mouth shall any take him when he is on the watch or pierce through his nose with a snare canst thou draw leviathan with a fish-hook or press down his tongue with a cord lay thy hand upon him remember the battle and do no more none is so fierce that dare stir him up who then is he that can stand before me who hath first given unto me that i should repay him whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine Job. Forty fifteen, through twenty, twenty three, twenty four, forty one, one eight ten, eleven. God says, this in order to bring His power, and omnipotence impressively before Job's eyes. God is like the Behemoth and the Leviathan, the fruitful nature giving forth abundance, the untamable wildness and boundlessness of nature, and the overwhelming danger of the unchained power. But what has destroyed job's earthly paradise the unchained power of nature as the poet lets it be seen here god has simply turned his other side outwards for once the side which man calls the devil and which lets loose all the torments of nature on job naturally for the purpose of discipline and training the god who created such monstrosities before whom the poor weak man stiffens with anxiety truly must hide qualities within himself which are food for thought this god lives in the heart in the unconscious in the realm of meta psychology there is the source of the anxiety before the unspeakably horrible and of the strength to withstand the horrors the person that is to say his conscious eye is like a plaything like a feather which is whirled around by different currents of air sometimes the sacrifice and sometimes the sacrificer and he cannot hinder either the book of job shows us god at work both as creator and destroyer who is this god a thought which humanity in every part of the world and in all ages has brought forth from itself and always again anew in similar forms a power in the other world to which man gives praise a power which creates as well as destroys an idea necessary to life since psychologically understood the divinity is nothing else than a projected complex of representation which is accentuated in feeling according to the degree of religiousness of the individual so god is to be considered as the representative of a certain sum of energy libido this energy therefore appears projected metaphysically because it works from the unconscious outwards when it is dislodged from there as psychoanalysis shows as i have earlier made apparent in the bedded des vateres the religious instinct feeds upon the incestuous libido of the infantile period in the principal forms of religion which now exist the father transference seems to be at least the moulding influence in older religions it seems to be the influence of the mother transference which creates the attributes of the divinity the attributes of the divinity are omnipotence a sternly persecuting paternalism ruling through fear old testament and a loving paternalism new testament these are the attributes of the libido in that wide sense in which freud has conceived this idea empirically in certain pagan and also in certain christian attributes of divinity the maternal stands out strongly and in the former the animal also comes into the greatest prominence likewise the infantile so closely interwoven with religious fantasies and from time to time breaking forth so violently is nowhere lacking all this points to the sources of the dynamic states of religious activity these are those impulses which in childhood are withdrawn from incestuous application through the intervention of the incest barrier and which especially at the time of puberty as a result of affluxes of libido coming from the still incompletely employed sexuality are aroused to their own peculiar activity as is easily understood that which is valuable in the god creating idea is not the form but the power the libido the primitive power which job's hymn of creation vindicates the unconditional and inexorable the unjust and the superhuman are truly and rightly attributes of libido which lead us unto life which let the poor be guilty and against which struggle is in vain nothing remains for mankind but to work in harmony with this will nietzsche's zarathustra teaches us this impressively we see that in miss miller the religious hymn arising from the unconscious is the compensating amend for the erotic it takes a great part of its materials from the infantile reminiscences which she reawakened into life by the introversion of the libido had this religious creation not succeeded and also had another sublimated application been eliminated then miss miller would have yielded to the erotic impression either to its natural consequence or to a negative issue which would have replaced the lost success in love by a correspondingly strong sorrow it is well known that opinions are much divided concerning the worth of this issue of an erotic conflict such as miss miller has presented to us it is thought to be much more beautiful to solve unnoticed and erotic tension in the elevated feelings of religious poetry in which perhaps many other people can find joy and consolation one is wrong to storm against this conception from the radical standpoint of fanaticism for truth i think that one should view with philosophic admiration the strange paths of the libido and should investigate the purposes of its circuitous ways it is not too much to say that we have herewith dug up the erotic root and yet the problem remains unsolved were there not bound up with that a mysterious purpose probably of the greatest biological meaning then certainly twenty centuries would not have yearned for it with such intense longing doubtless this sort of libidian current moves in the same direction as taken in the widest sense did that ecstatic ideal of the middle ages and of the ancient mystery cults one of which became the later christianity there is to be seen biologically in this ideal an exercise of psychologic projection of the paranoidian mechanism as freud would express it the projection consists in the repressing of the conflict into the unconscious and the setting forth of the repressed contents into seeming objectivity which is also the formula of paranoia the repression serves as is well known for the freeing from a painful complex from which one must escape by all means because its compelling and oppressing power is feared the repression can lead to an apparent complete suppression which corresponds to a strong self-control unfortunately however self-control has limits which are only too narrowly drawn closer observation of people shows it is true that calm is maintained at the critical moment but certain results occur which fall into two categories first the suppressed effect comes to the surface immediately afterwards seldom directly it is true but ordinarily in the form of a displacement to another object for example a person is in official relations polite submissive patient and so on and turns his whole anger loose upon his wife or his subordinates second the suppressed effect creates compensations elsewhere for example people who strive for excessive ethics who try always to think feel and act altruistically and ideally avenge themselves because of the impossibility of carrying out their ideals by subtle maliciousness which naturally does not come into their own consciousness as such but which leads to misunderstandings and unhappy situations apparently then all of these are only especially unfortunate circumstances or they are the guilt and malice of other people or they are tragic complications one is indeed freed of the conscious conflict nevertheless it lies invisible at one's feet and is stumbled over at every step the technique of the apparent suppressing and forgetting is inadequate because it is not possible of achievement in the last analysis it is in reality a mere makeshift the religious projection offers a much more effectual help in this one keeps the conflict in sight care pain anxiety and so on and gives it over to a personality standing outside of oneself the divinity the evangelical command teaches us this cast all your anxiety upon him because he careth for you first peter five seven in nothing be anxious but in everything by prayer and supplication let your request be made known unto god philippians 4, 6. One must give the burdening complex of the soul consciously over to the deity that is to say associate it with a definite representation complex which is set up as objectively real as a person who answers those questions for us unanswerable to this inner demand belongs the candid avowal of sin and the christian humility presuming such an avowal both are for the purpose of making it possible for one to examine oneself and to know oneself one may consider the mutual avowal of sins as the most powerful support to this work of education confess therefore your sins one to another james 5:16 these measures aim at a conscious recognition of the conflicts thoroughly psychoanalytic which is also a conditio sine qua non of the psychoanalytic condition of recovery just as psychoanalysis in the hands of the physician a secular method sets up the real object of transference as the one to take over the conflicts of the oppressed and to solve them so the christian religion sets up the saviour considered as real in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins ephesians one seven and colossians one fourteen he is the deliverer and redeemer of our guilt a god who stands above sin who did no sin neither was guile found in his mouth peter two twenty two who his own self bare our sins in his body upon the tree peter two twenty four therefore christ has been sacrificed once to take away the sins of many hebrews nine twenty eight the god thus thought of is distinguished as innocent in himself and as the self-sacrificer these qualities are true also for that amount of energy libido which belongs to the representation complex designated the redeemer the conscious projection towards which the christian education aims offers therefore a double benefit first one is kept conscious of the conflict sins Of two opposing tendencies mutually resistant and through this one prevents a known trouble from becoming by means of repressing and forgetting an unknown and therefore so much more tormenting sorrow secondly one lightens one's burden by surrendering it to him to whom all solutions are known one must not forget that the individual psychologic roots of the deity set up as real by the pious are concealed from him and that he although unaware of this still bears the burden alone and is still alone with his conflict this delusion would lead infallibly to the speedy breaking up of the system for nature cannot indefinitely be deceived but the powerful institution of christianity meets this situation the command in the book of james is the best expression of the psychologic significance of this bear ye one another's burdens this is emphasized as especially important In order to preserve society upright through mutual love transference the pauline writings leave no doubt about this through love be servants one to another galatians five thirteen let love of the brethren continue hebrews thirteen one and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works not forgetting our own assembling together as is the custom of some but exhorting one another hebrews ten twenty four twenty five we might say that the real transference taught in the christian community is the condition absolutely necessary for the efficacy of the miracle of redemption the first letter of john comes out frankly with this he that loveth his brother abideth in the light first john two ten if we love one another god abideth in us first john four twelve The deity continues to be efficacious in the Christian religion only upon the foundation of brotherly love consequently here too the mystery of redemption is the unresisting real transference one may properly ask oneself for what then is the deity useful if his efficacy consists only in the real transference to this also the evangelical message has a striking answer men are all brothers in Christ so christ also having been once offered to bear the sins of many shall appear a second time apart from sin to them that wait for him unto salvation hebrews nine twenty eight the condition of transference among brothers is to be such as between man and christ a spiritual one as the history of ancient cults and certain christian sects shows this explanation of the christian religion is an especially important one biologically for the psychologic intimacy creates certain shortened ways between men which lead only too easily to that from which christianity seeks to release them namely to the sexual relation with all those consequences and necessities under which the really already highly civilized man had to suffer at the beginning of our christian era for just as the ancient religious experience was regarded distinctly as a bodily union with the deity just so was worship permeated with sexuality of every kind sexuality lay only too close to the relations of people with each other the moral degeneracy of the first christian century produced a moral reaction arising out of the darkness of the lowest strata of society which was expressed in the second and third centuries at its purest in the two antagonistic religions christianity on the one side and Mithraism on the other these religions strove after precisely that higher form of social intercourse symbolic of a projected become flesh idea logos whereby all those strongest impulsive energies of the archaic man formerly plunging him from one passion into another and which seemed to the ancients like the compulsion of the evil constellations as destiny and which in the sense of later ages might be translated as the driving force of the libido the powerful putting in motion of zeno could be made use of for social preservation it may be assumed most certainly that the domestication of humanity has cost the greatest sacrifices an age which produced the stoical ideal must certainly have known why and against what it was created the age of nero serves to set off effectually the famous extracts from the forty-first letter of seneca to lucilius one drags the other into error and how can we attain to salvation when no one bids us halt when all the world drives us in deeper do you ever come across a man unafraid in danger untouched by desires happy in misfortune peaceful in the midst of a storm elevated above ordinary mortals on the same plane as the gods does not reverence seize you are you not compelled to say such an exalted being is certainly something different from the miserable body which he inhabits a divine strength rules there such an excellent mind full of moderation raised above all trivialities which smiles at that which we others fear or strive after a heavenly power animates such a person a thing of this kind does not exist without the co-operation of a deity the largest part of such a being belongs to the region from which he came just as the sun's rays touch the earth in reality and yet are at home only there from whence they come so an eminent holy man associates with us he is sent to us that we may learn to know the divine better and although with us still really belongs to his original home he looks thither and reaches towards it among us he walks as an exalted being the people of this age had grown ripe for identification with the word become flesh for the founding of a new fellowship united by one idea in the name of which people could love each other and call each other brothers the old vague idea of a messiah of a mediator in whose name new ways of love would be created became a fact and with that humanity made an immense step forward this had not been brought about by a speculative completely sophisticated philosophy but by an elementary need in the mass of people vegetating in spiritual darkness the profoundest necessities had evidently driven them towards that since humanity did not thrive in a state of dissoluteness the meaning of those cults i speak of christianity and mithracism is clear it is a moral restraint of animal impulses the dynamic appearance of both religions betrays something of that enormous feeling of redemption which animated the first disciples and which we to-day scarcely know how to appreciate for these old truths are empty to us most certainly we should still understand it had our customs even a breath of ancient brutality for we can hardly realize in this day the whirlwinds of the unchained libido which roared through the ancient rome of the caesars the civilized man of the present day seems very far removed from that he has become merely neurotic so for us the necessities which brought forth christianity have actually been lost since we no longer understand their meaning we do not know against what it had to protect us for enlightened people the so-called religiousness has already approached very close to a neurosis in the past two thousand years christianity has done its work and has erected barriers of repression which protect us from the sight of our own sinfulness the elementary emotions of the libido have come to be unknown to us for they are carried on in the unconscious therefore the belief which combats them has become hollow and empty let whoever does not believe that a mask covers our religion obtain an impression for himself from the appearance of our modern churches from which style and art have long since fled with this we turn back to the question from which we digressed namely whether or not miss miller has created something valuable with her poem if we bear in mind under what psychologic or moral conditions christianity came into existence that is to say at a time when fierce brutality was an everyday spectacle then we understand the religious seizure of the whole personality and the worth of that religion which defended the people of the roman culture against the visible storms of wickedness it was not difficult for those people to remain conscious of sin for they saw it every day spread out before their eyes the religious product was at that time the accomplishment of the total personality miss miller not only undervalues her sins but the connection between the depressing and unrelenting need and her religious product has even escaped her thus her poetical creation completely loses the living value of a religious product it is not much more than a sentimental transformation of the erotic which is secretly carried out close to consciousness and principally possesses the same worth as the manifest content of the dream with its uncertain and delusive perishableness thus the poem is properly only a dream become audible to the degree that the modern consciousness is eagerly busied with things of a wholly other sort than religion religion and its object original sin have stepped into the background that is to say into the unconscious in great part therefore to-day man believes neither in the one nor in the other consequently the freudian school is accused of an impure fantasy and yet one might convince oneself very easily with a rather fleeting glance at the history of ancient religions and morals as to what kind of demons are harboured in the human soul with this disbelief in the crudeness of human nature is bound up the disbelief in the power of religion the phenomenon well known to every psychoanalyst of the unconscious transformation of an erotic conflict into religious activity is something ethically wholly worthless and nothing but an hysterical production whoever on the other hand to his conscious sin just as consciously places religion in opposition does something the greatness of which cannot be denied this can be verified by a backward glance over history such a procedure is sound religion the unconscious recasting of the erotic into something religious lays itself open to the reproach of a sentimental and ethically worthless pose by means of the secular practice of the naive projection which is as we have seen nothing else than a veiled or indirect real transference through the spiritual through the logos christian training has produced a widespread weakening of the animal nature so that a great part of the strength of the impulses could be set free for the work of social preservation and fruitfulness this abundance of libido to make use of this singular expression pursues with a budding renaissance for example petrarch a course which outgoing antiquity had already sketched out as religious viz the way of the transference to nature the transformation of this libidinist interest is in great part due to the Mithraic worship which was a nature religion in the best sense of the word while the primitive christians exhibited throughout an antagonistic attitude to the beauties of this world i remember the passage of st augustine mentioned by j burckhardt men draw thither to admire the heights of the mountains and the powerful ways of the sea and to turn away from themselves the foremost authority on the mithrae cult franz cumont says as follows the gods were everywhere and mingled in all the events of daily life the fire which cooked the means of nourishment for the believers and which warmed them the water which quenched their thirst and cleansed them also the air which they breathed and the day which shone for them were the objects of their homage perhaps no religion has given to its adherents in so large a degree as Mithraism, opportunity for prayer and motive for devotion when the initiated betook himself in the evening to the sacred grotto concealed in the solitude of the forest at every step new sensations awakened in his heart some mystical emotion the stars that shone in the sky the wind that whispered in the foliage the spring or brook which hastened murmuring to the valley even the earth which he trod under his feet were in his eyes divine and all surrounding nature a worshipful fear of the infinite forces that swayed the universe these fundamental thoughts of mithracism which like so much else of the ancient spiritual life arose again from their grave during the renaissance are to be found in the beautiful words of seneca when you enter a grove peopled with ancient trees higher than the ordinary and whose boughs were so closely interwoven that the sky cannot be seen the stately shadows of the wood the privacy of the place and the awful gloom cannot but strike you as with the presence of a deity for when we see some cave at the foot of a mountain penetrating the rocks not made by human hands but hollowed out to great depths by nature it fills the mind with a religious fear we venerate the fountain heads of great rivers the sudden eruption of a vast body of water from the secret places of the earth obtains an altar we adore likewise the springs of warm baths and either the opaque quality or immense depths hath made some lakes sacred all this disappeared in the transitory world of the christian only to break forth much later when the thought of mankind had achieved that independence of the idea which could resist the aesthetic impression so that thought was no longer fettered by the emotional effects of the impression but could rise to reflective observation thus man entered into a new An independent relation to nature whereby the foundation was laid for natural science and technique without however there entered in for the first time a displacement of the weight of interest there arose again real transference which has reached its greatest development in our time materialistic interest has everywhere become paramount therefore the realms of the spirit where earlier the greatest conflicts and developments took place lie deserted and fallow the world has not only lost its god as the sentimentalists of the nineteenth century bewail but also to some extent has lost its soul as well one therefore cannot wonder that the discoveries and doctrines of the freudian school with their wholly psychologic views meet with an almost universal disapproval through the change of the centre of interest from the inner to the outer world the knowledge of nature has increased enormously in comparison with that of earlier times by this the anthropomorphic conception of the religious dogmas has been definitely thrown open to question therefore the present-day religions can only with the greatest difficulty close their eyes to this fact for not only has the intense interest been diverted from the christian religion but criticism and the necessary correction have increased correspondingly the christian religion seems to have fulfilled its great biological purpose in so far as we are able to judge it has led human thought to independence and has lost its significance therefore to a yet undetermined extent in any case its dogmatic contents have become related to mythicism, in consideration of the fact that this religion has rendered nevertheless inconceivable service to education one cannot reject it eo ipso to-day it seems to me that we might still make use in some way of its form of thought and especially of its great wisdom of life which for two thousand years has been proven to be particularly efficacious the stumbling-block is the unhappy combination of religion and morality that must be overcome there still remain traces of this strife in the soul the lack of which in a human being is reluctantly felt it is hard to say in what such things consist for this ideas as well as words are lacking if in spite of that i attempt to say something about it i do it parabolically using seneca's words nothing can be more commendable and beneficial if you persevere in the pursuit of wisdom it is what would be ridiculous to wish for when it is in your power to attain it there is no need to lift up your hands to heaven or to pray the servant of the temple to admit you to the ear of the idol that your prayers may be heard the better god is near thee he is with thee yes lucilius a holy spirit resides within us the observer of good and evil and our constant guardian and, as we treat him, he treats us; no good man is without a God. Could any one ever rise above the power of fortune without his assistance? It is he that inspires us with thoughts upright, just, and pure. We do not indeed pretend to say what God, but that a God dwells in the breast of every good man, is certain. End of Section Eight.